Thanks for Brian praying for everybody. It's hard to remember everybody's names. And we also have Heidi Jenick, who does, uh, who works part-time with us with our child care. And she was in here. Heidi, are you still here? There you go. Nate's back in the sound booth, and he also does IT stuff for us. There's a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of people that make things happen around here. Not to count all you volunteers. Uh, shout out to Jamie this morning for having an appreciation uh, breakfast for all the welcome ministries people this morning and, and we were all sitting there and just looking around and realizing how many people are involved in you know just pulling a service off like this and you think well you got to have a preacher stand up there and talk yeah it's a lot more than that that's probably the smallest part but anyway uh, a lot of people a lot of people that go into that and thanks to all of you so well, some of you still have shopping to do, men, and so here, here's your list of gifts to buy for your wives. Actually, it's the 10 worst gifts that you could buy for your wives. This is, this is the things you don't do, so do we have that? Never buy a woman any kind of household appliance or something that's going to make housework easier, all right? The best thing to do to make housework easier is to help her. Did I get an Amen. All right, number two, any bulk cleaning supplies. Honey, I got a really good deal on Windex. You'll be able to get all the windows clean now, inside and out. Any sharp objects made by Ronco, which slices, dices, or a set of Jinsu knives. If you buy those for your wife, don't turn your back. <laughs> Do not buy gifts for yourselves and pretend they're for her. Honey, I'm sure you'll get a lot of use out of the new drill I bought you. Fishing rods and deer rifles also fall into that categories. Just, just saying. Any lingerie made of flannel, such as a pair of feeded pajamas with a trap door in the back. Little Mermaids, Barney, cartoon character, nightgown. You, your, your wife is hotter than that, okay? So you don't want to give her flannel. Mm -hmm. Double, double, double. Anyway, number three, number six, no, no name perfume, which cost you $1.99. You, how do you say it? Eau de toilette? Oh, anyway, which smells like the bathroom, moldy fruit, fruit, or your dirty socks. Spring for the good stuff, guys, if you're buying them perfume. Any type of cubic zirconian jewelry you'll see on the home shopping network. Hey, girlfriends, look at this big diamond. Let me cut some glass with it, and it crumbles or whatever. Anyway, please do not buy her clothes because you think for one minute you have good taste in women's clothing. Now, I've been told that there are a few exceptions to this rule. Be sure, be sure that you are the exception. You might ask your wife, say, honey, just tell me the truth. Just, like, just tell me the truth. Am I the exception to this rule before you go and embarrass yourself? Number nine, do not give her, this is, goes without saying, a gift certificate, Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers. <laughs> That's a tough one. Ten, I... Last but not least, never buy a woman anti-wrinkle cream or a book on how not to be nasty Sunday through Saturday. <laughs> those are actually, uh, those are huge, in case you're wondering, men, all of those are huge withdrawals from emotional bank account of your marriage, okay? Huge withdrawals, so don't, don't do that. You, you would do better to just say, Here, here's some money, honey, go buy yourself something that you really want. You'd be better off doing that, trust me. Let me set the stage this morning for Luke chapter 1. If you've been tracking with us on the greatest story, you know that there was a time that there were prophets 
there were kings and then there were prophets. And then there was this time under, the, under the, uh, all the other kingdoms and under the, the Greeks and the Romans. And there's this from Malachi to Matthew, there's, there's this huge kind of gap there. It's not really a gap in the story. The story's still going on. But it's the gap that we see between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the way the Bible's divided up. And it was a quiet time. It was uh, no real angels, no prophets, no, no visions, no spectacular things are going on from God. Herod is the king, and he was infamous for his cruelties. You can read about him. I don't even want to describe to you the kind of things that he did. They are just as bad as anything you read about today that people do. There are a lot of religious leaders who were hypocrites. You see that exposed when Jesus comes on the scene. It was a dark time. But even in this dark time, there was always, there was always a, a, a segment of people, uh, a remnant of people that were looking for God, who were God aware. And, and there's always more people than you think. I think about Elijah that he said, oh, Lord, I'm the only one. And, and, and God says, Elijah, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. God always has a group of people. Sometimes it's, it's, it's vocal and sometimes it's out there and sometimes it's kind of behind the scene. And God always works that way. And, and if we had time, we'd go to Luke chapter 2 this morning and, and we'd, look at, we'd look at Simeon who was righteous and devout. And, and God had revealed him by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died. And there's Anna the prophetess who worshipped with prayer and fasting. Uh, John 1, there's Nathaniel that Jesus said, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Of course, there's Mary and Joseph, righteous people. This morning, I want to look at the life in Luke chapter 1 of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were two more of these people who were looking, who had a God awareness, and even in the midst of a dark time before the bright light of Jesus bursting on the scene, these people were still steadily behind the scene, looking for God, following God, open to God. Principle number one that we're going to learn, I think we have three or four today. First one is this, God always has His people, a group of true followers, even in the darkest of days. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years." Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine, 
or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, be, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak because this day, until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed for so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor. And taking away, taking away my disgrace among the people. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides now and forever. May he bless the reading of it today. This is not a new story. This, if you think back to the beginning of the greatest story series, if you remember a man named Abraham had a wife named Sarah, remember they couldn't have kids. That's God worked through that. Uh, perhaps you remember the story of Rebecca and Rachel, uh, the mother of Samson. First um, Samuel 1, Hannah couldn't conceive, and she had a son, Samuel. God has used this kind of situation time and time again in the lives of people all through the Bible. In fact, I guess you could say as we get to Mary and Joseph that that's the last of the shall we say, irregular uh, birth accounts in the Bible that God shares with us and works outside of what is normal. Now, the Holy Spirit prompted Luke uh, to begin his story not with uh, the account of Jesus, as some of the others do, but he started with the account of the forerunner, the story of his cousin, John the Baptist. And here in chapter 1, the story at length uh, of his parents. You see, I think some of these people, the ones I've alluded to, like Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth, these are, these are some of the unsung heroes, some of our unsung heroes of our faith uh, that are models to us uh, of a spiritual legacy that you and I, looking back, over the timeline of the Bible and those who have been in the plan of God, part of that remnant of God all through the ages up until today that have followed God. And so we look to them and we learn from them. And their story, their story is recorded for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we hear this story. Now, let's just walk through that a little bit. They were both from the priestly line of Aaron, uh, Elizabeth was was on the on the on the far side of of menopause, shall we say? 
To be childless in that day was a shame. Men divorced their wives if their wives couldn't bring them children because that was their social security, that was their legacy, that was a big deal. And so to not have a child exposed you to ridicule and people would see that, interpret that as a sign of God's displeasure with you. Maybe some hidden sin. And so we see in, in verse 25, what, what did she say there? She says, in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. That's what she's alluding to. So I'm sure that, that many times Zechariah and Elizabeth had gone before God with prayers and tears. Um, they probably search their souls with this kind of culture. There must be something wrong with me. There must be some sin in my life. Um, they probably tried all the home remedies of the day. And then finally, just kind of probably quiet resignation when they came to realize that it, the time was past. The time was past. And making their peace with the fact that there would be no more priest from this branch of Aaron's priestly family tree, that this branch uh, was a dead branch. It would end. But here we have, and what we have in the text here, here we have a godly couple that are staying on task even, even in the midst of their pain and their questioning. Verse 6, I think it is, both of them were upright in the sight of the Lord. Wow, wouldn't you like, wouldn't, like, wouldn't you like for that to be recorded about you? That you're upright in the sight of the Lord. God was pleased with them. Which brings me to the second truth here, and that's pain and suffering is often the path of faithfulness. I, I think sometimes there's an illusion out there sometimes that if I'm a godly person and I put God first in my life, that somehow God's going to do some kind of miracle and take away all the pain and suffering and I'll just, you know, I'll be all hugs and kisses and chocolates and strawberries all the way up into glory land and, and that's the way it's going to be. And it's not. And, and I take you to story after story after story in the Holy Bible of people who are described as upright before the Lord who had that path. And the reality is this, and those of us who have been on this journey for a little while, you know what I mean. We learn things through pain that we never learn in pleasure. Um, F.B. Meyer wrote, Sorrow opens our eyes and bids us see visions within the veil which cannot be described by those who have not wept. Amy Carmichael, great saint of the 1800s, wrote a poem entitled, Hast Thou No Scar? I, I commend it to you to read it. And the last section ends up this way. It goes like this. It goes, No wound... No scar, and those are questions. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has not wound nor scar? End of quote. 
So I just want to tell you, and, and I'm not, I'm, this, is, this, is, this, this, is, uh, this is not sunshine on the mountain and warm sunny day stuff, okay? But the reality is that life has bitter and sweet. It just does. And God uses pain and suffering in ways that lives of ease never will encounter. And so when you encounter, hear me, when you encounter pain and suffering in your life, it may be of your own doing. You may, it may be some consequences for your bad choices. I'm not going to say that. But it may not be. It may be just the fact that this is part of the pathway that God has for you. And God is using this, God is using this to move you along. Now, I can get into a lot of theology about God's perfect plan and how that was in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve and all that and, and centered the world. I can't get into all that. All I can say is where we are now at this point in time, given who we are, broken people, God takes us through this path to refine us because He's more important about, it's more important to us, to Him, who we are than our happiness or our pleasure in the moment. Now, back to the story. For all his adult life, Zechariah had been a priest, and that meant that twice a year he would journey to Jerusalem. And finally, his name got drawn by lot to go in the holy place, which is a big deal because there was something like 20,000 priests. So you might go your lifetime and never get your name drawn uh, to go into the holy place. He did. This was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. He went in there to, to burn incense, and, and, and so while the animal sacrifice would burn outside on the altar, he would go inside to burn incense. While the people were outside praying outside, he would be inside praying as well interesting side note, they would always tie a rope on the priests that went in there to do that. That way, if while, if while, they're in there, while they were in there, they died, okay, or God struck them dead, that the other priests would not violate the holy place to get them out. They'd just, they'd just haul them out. Isn't that interesting? says a little something about their fear of the holiness of God that I think we've all gotten away from in present times. There was a fear of God, a holy fear of God that's healthy. So he went in to pray, to worship God, to give Him His praise, to confess sins, to make petitions as a part of his normal life. This was a part of his normal life as, as a priest and as a follower of God to, to go and to pray. So track with me here. God had providentially ordered the lot to fall to Zechariah so that he was in the right place at the right time for this divine appointment. And there's a model here about us. Do your duty. Pray. If you're married, love your spouse and honor your vows. Obey God's commands. Stay humble and yielded to God so that you're in the place that God can use you in ordinary ways and extraordinary ways. Verse 13, this, this angel appears. And as always when angels appear, I hadn't seen one, but every other time I read about it in the Bible, I think people are gripped with fear. It must be pretty awesome. Anyway, uh, do not fear. 
That's what they always say. And he says, your prayer has been heard. I wonder, you wonder, I wonder if Zechariah's there. He's in there praying, and this angel shows up. He says, your prayer has been heard. And he's like, well, which prayer was that? I, I don't, I, you know, because I'm like, if you're like me, I've, have you prayed a lot? Of, I've prayed a lot of prayers. I've prayed prayers I've forgotten. I don't think I'm alone in that. But pretty quickly, the angel let him know the prayer that he's talking, the prayer that is the one foremost in his mind. You're going to have a child. Um, God has not forgotten. And I don't know how to weave together the mystery of how a sovereign God who's in control and is going to do what he's going to do, but he also hears and uses our prayers to accomplish his purpose on his, in this world. There's a mystery to that. That's okay. I live with that mystery. I live with lots of mysteries. God has not forgotten. God has heard his prayers. And, and the word there is that God hears our prayers. Sometimes you may think he's forgotten, but God hears our prayers. Now, there's an interesting sidebar here that's just for the, for the men. Ladies, you can listen in if you want. But um, verse 16 and 17, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And, and there's more to this passage. Um, there's, more to this, there's more to understanding this, this turning their hearts. But the part of it here, I think there's one application of this, is that fathers are to care about their children. Fathers are to be present and engaged and intentional parents. And men, I think there is a, a real propensity for us to get consumed by our jobs, to get consumed by making a living, sometimes by our sports and our hobbies and other secondary issues. And we need to turn our hearts to our families. We need to turn our hearts to our children. Uh, we need to walk with God and we need to model that in prayer and Bible study and love our wives and be held accountable by other men and intentionally build godly values into our children to teach them and to train them in God's ways. And, and, and some of the symptoms, some of the symptoms of the importance of fathering are shown in some other areas. For instance, surveys have found that there is a direct relationship between sexually active teenage girls and the lack of a relationship with their father. They go looking for male attention somewhere if they don't get it in their home from a, a healthy relationship with their dads. A, a good pastoral friend of mine told me one time, he says, you know, in, in every counseling session, one of the best probes that I ever make is when I say, tell me about your father. Tell me about your father. How would you respond to that today? If I asked you, tell me about your father. Uh, it, it has had an indelible imprint upon your life. 
ladies, I'm not demeaning any of you today, but I just want to say, I, the, I think moms are a little more intuitive. Moms are a little more intuitive about understanding the influence and the power of being a faithful mother, and and a little more natural at that whole nurturing and caring. But man, I want to tell you today, fathers, your 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 thumbprint. Is all, it's all over your children. Um, someone said it this way, guys love their boys, especially love their mothers, but follow their fathers. So, here's a principle, it's kind of a bonus principle. God expects fathers to resist the seductive influence of jobs, hobbies, and toys to follow Him and pour their lives into their families. Really important. And, and now, okay, ladies, now that you've been just daydreaming for a while, back, bring the ladies all back. A word to wives here, and this goes back to the love and respect workshop. Your husband needs for you to treat his leadership with respect. You really need to respect your husband and let him lead in the family. Because if you don't, he'll step aside and let you do it. Most of the time. Now, sometimes they'll fight you for it. But more often, they'll say, okay, you go ahead. I'll go back to work. Or I'll go out and do my woodworking or whatever it is that they do. One more thing. I always know what I'm talking about. Anything to do with fathering here, I know that I'm always talking to some single moms. And I just want to tell you, you have a hard task. And I would just challenge you, um, you know, find some male models to bring into the lives of your children, your, your, your dad, um, some uncle or somebody that can be a male role model for your children. And, and, and my prayer for you is that God would just maximize your skills and your abilities to make up for some of the things that a dad would bring. Back to the story. John the Baptist would live out the vow of a Nazarite. No alcohol, didn't cut his hair, touch any dead animals. Again, uh, have we heard about this before in the Bible? Do you remember any other Nazarites in the Bible? In the Old Testament, anybody remember? Samson, good, good. Samson was a Nazarite. Samson didn't do so well though, did he? No, he didn't. Uh, you see, there's a parallel between the two, except John the Baptist stayed on the path. John the Baptist had discipline. And again, I, I, can't, I think we've got to go back to the parents. Who raised this child? Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright in the sight of the Lord. I, I, I believe that he had godly parents who modeled for him what it meant to walk with God. I just want to tell you... Uh, this kind of discipline is, is, is so important. Spiritual discipline is underrated. Discipline, period, in life is underrated. And I just want to tell you what, take any area of your life, and it's less about genius, and it's less about giftedness, and it's more about persistence. It's, it's more about that. Uh, you and I, all of us, we sat around, we all know we have classmates who were geniuses who didn't do anything because they didn't have any discipline. And then you know some of us that aren't 
the sharpest knife in the drawer, and, and yet we persist, and we persist. It's more about persistence, I'm just telling you. Verse 18, I love this. I love the story. It's great. Zechariah was dumbfounded. He just, he's standing there. He's, he's, he's looking at an angel, and he's being asked to, uh, to believe the impossible, okay, all right? And, he, and so what does he do? He does probably what all of us said, you, you're lying to me. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that exactly, but he's saying, how can this be? How can this happen? And then I like it. And then Gabriel kind of steps up and pulls rank on him and says, I'm Gabriel. All right? I stand in the presence of God Almighty, and I've come to tell you that this is going to happen. I love that. Don't you just love that? I like to I like being a fly on the wall. He's going, hmm. Anyway. It's going to happen. But, 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 you know, but because of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to speak. Does God have a sense of humor? I mean, to, for a preacher or a priest to tell him, say, oh, I'm, this great thing's going to happen. I'm going to do a miracle. And you can't tell anybody. You can't talk. I, I was the uh, president of the ministerial group here in town for a, for a couple years. And, and sometimes we'd have a kind of a roundtable topic that I wanted everybody to chime in about. Don't do that with a bunch of preachers. I, I'm just telling you, I don't know if there's anybody who likes to hear the sound of their vo- own voice anymore than a bunch of preachers. I, it got so bad, finally I started taking a timer with me. And I said, okay, you got four minutes to give your insight on this. And I remember one guy, he hadn't even got started yet, and it went off and he looked at me, he was mad at me. I'm like, I told you, that's all you got. So here's, here's the preacher that can't talk. I love it. I love it. Oh. But again, the story, the story of this life again, I can't just realize. Someone said it this way. Christian maturity is learning to live with the unspectacular routines of faithfulness where we log so many uneventful hours while at the same time believing that God is guiding the process and may break in at any time. End of quote. So the rest of the story is the fulfillment of Gabriel's message. The male child is born, is prophesied. The, the families and friends rejoice, but Zechariah still cannot speak. They ask Elizabeth to give the name, and she gives the name John, and she said that's impossible uh, because that's not a family name, and it's unheard of to give a firstborn son in that day anything else. And so John writes on a tablet, John is his name, and then he can speak. His judgment's only lifted in his obedience and naming the child what God told him to. You see, this was his son, but it was also God's, which brings me to the last principle. Principle number three, God gives us our children, and godly parents submit them to his purposes. God gives us our children, and godly parents submit them to his purposes. Uh, Reverend Phil Thrillkill, United Methodist pastor friend of mine, who's now retired, in fact, um, said this in one of his sermons. John was not the Messiah, but he was the best man at the wedding. The doorman who opened the door for Jesus, the herald who announced his coming, the gardener who pulled the weeds and sank a plow into the soil so Jesus could plant the seed. And in a very real sense, John's ministry was built on the foundation of his parents' piety. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. 
about Elizabeth and Zechariah were the parents who prepared the prophet. End of quote. What are the dreams? What are the dreams of unsung heroes for their children? What are the dreams for our children? And, and our training sure needs to include the whole spiritual dimension of their lives, another worldly view, a heavenly world that will last forever. And, and as someone has said, we need, to, we need to view our short today in light of eternity's long tomorrow. Don't you like that? Short today, long tomorrow. So when we read things in the Bible about laying up our treasures in heaven, not on earth, we sing, this, we sing the old gospel song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So we need to give our children to God. Woodrow Kroll said it this way, you need not worry about the welfare of your children when you give them to God. He can take better care of them than they can of themselves, and I might add, or than you can. You need not worry about the career advancement of your children when you give them to God. After all, he is the captain of a mighty army, the potter over every piece of clay, end quote. Give your children to God. Don't be afraid to trust God with them. He takes better care of them than you do. The safest place in the world to be is in God's will. So, three principles and a bonus. God always has His people, a group of true followers, even in the darkest days. Number two, pain and suffering is often the path of faithfulness. Bonus for men, God expects fathers to resist the seductive influence of jobs, hobbies, and toys to follow Him and pour their lives into their families. And number three, God gives us our children and godly parents submit them to His purposes. Maybe today, I don't know which one hits you. Maybe you're having trouble trusting God with your kids. Maybe today... It's tough because your pathway has some pain and suffering right now and it just doesn't seem right or even fair. Will you stay on the path? Will you stay on the path? Will you, will you follow God? Will you seek first His kingdom knowing all the other things will fall into place? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, make us the kind of people who faithfully follow you in the ordinary of life and look and long for the extraordinary with the same faith. Help us to build godly homes like Zechariah and Elizabeth, fertile soil for you to raise up the next generation of faithful followers. Call some of them into your vocational ministry and others into the marketplace, but all of them, may their heart be turned to you and may they keep you at the center of their lives. Father, there 
are those among us, I'm sure, who long for children just like these two and have been unable to have children. And while we never know your total plan, we, we believe, Lord, that there are godly couples who would raise their children for you. And so we ask for your work on their behalf. Thanks for these godly models that you have left for us. Some of the unspectacular, unsung heroes like Zechariah and Elizabeth who just followed you in the ordinary of life. And may we imitate them, especially those of us who are in the second half of our journey. May we finish well on the pathway that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.